As we prepare to hear God's word read and proclaimed, let us pray for illumination. Prepare our hearts, Holy One, to accept your word. Silence in us any voice but your own, that, hearing, we may also obey your good and giving will, life-giving will. In Christ, amen. Now when the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven by a whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha were on their way from Gilgal. Elijah said to Elisha, Stay here, for the Lord has sent me as far as Bethel. But Elisha said, As the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. The company of prophets who were in Bethel came out to Elisha and said to him, Do you know that today the Lord will take your master away from you? And he said, yes, I know, keep silent. Elijah said to him, Elisha, stay here, for the Lord has sent me to Jericho. But he said, as the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So they came to Jericho. The company of prophets who were at Jericho drew near to Elisha and said to him, do you know that today the Lord will take your master away from you? And he answered, Yes, I know. Be silent. Then Elijah said to him, Stay here, for the Lord has sent me to the Jordan. But he said, As the Lord lives, and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So the two of them went on. Fifty men of the company of prophets also went and stood at some distance from them as they both were standing by the Jordan. Then Elijah took his mantle and rolled it up and struck the water. The water was parted to the one side and to the other until the two of them crossed on dry ground. When they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, tell me what I may do for you before I am taken from you. Elisha said, please let me inherit a double share of your spirit. He responded, you have asked a hard thing, yet if you see me as I am being taken from you, it will be granted you. If not, it will not. As they continued walking and talking, a chariot of fire and horses of fire separated the two of them, and Elijah ascended in a whirlwind into heaven. Elisha kept watching and crying out, Father, Father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. But when he could no longer see him, he grasped his own clothes and tore them in two pieces. He picked up the mantle of Elijah that had fallen from him and went back and stood on the bank of the Jordan. He took the mantle of Elijah that had fallen from him and struck the water, saying, Where is the Lord? the God of Elijah. When he had struck the water, the water was parted to the one side and to the other, and Elisha went over. When the company of prophets who were at Jericho saw him at a distance, they declared, the spirit of Elijah rests on Elisha. Holy wisdom, holy word. Thanks, Thanks be to God. Good morning. On this All Saints Sunday, it seems like a good time to spend a little bit of extra time saying thank you. And so I want to take a moment to recognize people who have been doing wonderful things in mission in our church in this season. 
A couple of uh, Saturdays ago, we had a group of mission committee members who spent the morning in the rain collecting all kinds of items to benefit our mission partners, and the outpouring from the congregation was just incredible. That's a ramp up to our Mission Possible event, our day of service that's coming up in a week. We hope you will take part. There are friends from Third Presbyterian Church, Rodney Christian and Michelle Berry, who will be downstairs in the social hall at noon today, generously sharing of their time to help you know more about our ministries there. And of course, we are incredibly blessed in worship today to again be enjoying beautiful music as we remember and give thanks for the lives of saints who have gone before us and do the good and holy work of grieving we're grateful for our church musicians as they lead us in that faithful exercise. And so I invite you to join me in prayer as we begin our time today. Startle us, O oh God, with your truth and hope and grace. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts, may they be acceptable in your sight. For you alone are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Last week I was on a phone call with some other pastors. It is a group I talk with often. We serve similar congregations all over the country. Our group meets to exchange ideas and to help one another, and usually there is some area of focus we discuss. This past week, it was Israel and Gaza and the role of our churches in responding. That immensely tragic situation is so complicated, and our responses were all over the map. One of the congregations has a long relationship with a Palestinian community in Gaza and was strongly sympathetic to their suffering. Another one of the pastors on the call serves a church immediately across the street from a synagogue, and he felt more connected to the security needs of Israel. Both sides of this conflict have their own internal complexities. And both of these pastors could see the other's point of view. One person on the call talked passionately about the complicity of all Americans in our support of military exercises around the world. And yet another pastor was honest that his congregation had no immediate or close alliances in the conflict. And he was, str was struggling with how the news cycle keeps redirecting our sympathies so that suddenly Ukraine or refugees on our southern border or hurricane victims who were at the center of our attention only weeks before are now eclipsed by another concern. I know I felt a twinge of that pain just yesterday I was working on this sermon at the moment when I saw the news of Friday night's multiple shooting in the West End, which killed a boy the same age as my oldest. Is Knox doing enough about gun violence? And I wondered, can any pastor 
or any local Presbyterian church be expected to speak and act faithfully on all of these matters. The problems in our world are so many, and the potential ways to respond are also many. Sometimes a global need appears right outside of our door. Last week, when our mission trip volunteers returned from McAllen, Texas, they had befriended a refugee family headed to Cincinnati. We are now building a relationship with that family to see how we can help them and what we can learn. Other times, the connections are quite distant. We find ourselves sending money and raising up prayers, and those things are important too. Sometimes we feel anxious and guilty over enormous problems we can do nothing to change. Sometimes we make excuses to absolve ourselves of responsibility. And sometimes we need to take time to genuinely lament the brokenness of the world, to ask God to shape us into more sympathetic, grace-filled people. It is so hard to make sense of it all. Whether it is on the op-ed page or at the latest dinner party, people are often trying to figure out, is the world getting better or is it getting worse? I have told you before and continue to believe that I think a lot of things are mostly staying the same. Consider our parents and grandparents who lived during the Holocaust or who saw the aftermath of Hiroshima and Nagasaki. The war finally came to an end. And how much more had we learned about our capability to destroy one another? Were our parents not living in as much disbelief and confusion as many of us are? So I wonder if the test of faith is not to figure out whether things are getting better or getting worse, but to figure out how to keep going in the midst of our own time, bringing as much hope and love into each new day as we can, and doing our best not to get discouraged. And it seems like the best way to learn how to do that is to pay attention to faithful people who went before us. There's a Bible story about these things. We heard it this morning. It appears in the second book of Kings. The prophet Elijah was one of the giants of faith in the Bible's Old Testament. Elijah was a prophet, which is to say he is a truth teller and public witness. It was the worst of times in the history of Israel. Elijah was a prophet during the reign of King Ahab. And according to 1 Kings chapter 16, Ahab, son of Omri, did evil in the sight of the Lord more than all who went before him. So King Ahab was a person who lived a life that brought immense suffering to his own people 
And it was Elijah's thankless task to be the voice of God in such a time. And Elijah did it. In the midst of terrible suffering that sometimes threatened to take away his hope, Elijah persevered in faith. Elijah was so faithful that when it was time for his life on earth to end, the Lord sends a chariot of fire to carry him into heaven in a story that mirrors the ascension of Jesus Christ. There is arguably no greater hero in the Old Testament in no worse of a time. Now, imagine that you are Elisha, Elijah's student, his apprentice. You are next in line for the job. These were big shoes to fill, or as the story tells it, a heavy mantle to wear. There is this beautiful act of symbolism that shows how Elijah's ministry is handed down to Elisha. Just before Elijah is carried up into heaven, the two prophets, the mentor and his student, they stand at the edge of a river. Elisha has been begging his teacher not to leave him. Elijah takes his mantle, probably a long robe that he would have worn, one that would have been associated with his faithfulness and his holiness and his power. And as the story goes, he rolls up his mantle and he touches the water with it. And in a clear reference to Moses, God parts the water and the two prophets walk across to the other side. Elijah, knowing the immensity of what is, being, what is happening around him, is wanting to be helpful to his protege. And Elisha feels completely helpless to be the one who will take over this holy work. And so when Elijah is swept up into heaven, Elisha falls to the ground and weeps and tears his clothes. He is entirely overcome with grief. But just before Elijah goes, Elisha begs his teacher, grant me a double portion of your spirit. And then after Elijah is gone... Elisha sees that left behind is Elijah's mantle. And all of a sudden, it hits him. It was never Elijah's power that made him great in the first place. It was the power of God, given once to Moses and later to Elijah and available to anyone willing to believe. And so Elijah himself takes up the mantle, touches it to the river and parts the water again, and he returns to the other side where he will continue the work, which he will do with God's help. The suffering in this world and the challenges we face 
are immense in ways that are too much for words and too much for any of us. We can only get by with the help of God, and we learn that from the people who have gone before us, who have seen great tragedy of their own and who have fought the good fight, kept the faith, and finished the race. This morning, Katie Fiorelli told you about Tom and Cece Mooney, who loved this church and who left us a generous gift. What Katie did not tell you much about was their son, David Scott Mooney. His name marks our church's David Scott Mooney Fund for Troubled Youth, a fund Cece and Tom established in their lifetime after they lost their only child to mental illness and drug abuse. Every year, the Knox Mission Committee directs gifts from that fund to support individuals and institutions who are battling drug abuse, mental illness, and other threats to the lives of young people. In my experience with them, Tom and Cece never got over the death of their son. I suppose no parent ever does. And yet somehow, God inspired them to do something that was within their reach to try to prevent or minimize the suffering of others. It was something they could do about a problem that was close to them. Their more recent end-of-life gift placed additional funding into the David Scott Mooney Fund, but not only that, it is also a gift meant to benefit the church's music ministries, very broadly defined. Why? Because for Tom and Cece, two people who knew a thing or two about tragedy, the gift of music was something that kept them going and gave them hope and joy. I suspect it was a reason to get up in the morning when they probably didn't want to and they wanted to pass on that gift to the rest of us. We've got to pick up the mantle of that kind of faith. Relying on the power of God and not ourselves, we have to think faithfully about the deep pain and deep joy in our own lives and ask what God is leading us to do. It is a question that must be asked again and again, sometimes daily, as we grow in faith, as we seek to increase in our understanding of suffering and love. Some of you may have heard me talk before about another mantle, another robe that is part of the Christian story. According to the rule of St. Benedict, the guide for life in the medieval monastery, there was a ritual that went along with joining the order. Upon entering the community and making one's vows, here's what they did. The novice would be given a simple robe one he would wear as a sign of his commitment. But rather than taking his old clothes away, those clothes would stay with the monk, hung in his room, 
all the days of his life. And that was so that every day upon rising in the morning, he would know that he was presented with a choice. I can put on my monk's robe, the symbol of my commitment to God, the mantle given to me, and I can live one more day in this community committed to the work of God. Or I can put on my old clothes and leave. Friends, we live in a threatening world. And in each new season of life, we are met by world events and local problems and personal suffering that threaten to undo us. And God grants us the gift of those who have gone before us so that we may know that they have fought the good fight. They have finished the race. They have kept the faith. And so must we. We must pick up the mantle. Amen.